This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. One of our favorite things to do is to answer your questions. You can ask your questions at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. This episode, that's what we're going to concentrate on. Before we uh, get started, a couple of announcements. Of course, you can check out all of our courses online, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses. That's where you can find the scholarships guide. You can also find the courses on how to do a resume, other technical courses for like interviews and that type of thing, holding patterns, etc. It's all out there at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses. Uh, well, today I have joining me Robert Geyer, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of your questions, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So let's uh, let's get started right away, since we really have quite a few questions to get through. Let's uh, first question comes in and says, uh, "I saw you posted a link about Forces to Flyers program recently, announced by the Department of Transportation." I'm a 52-year-old veteran who currently works in IT and wants to change careers and become a commercial pilot. Money's an issue, so I'm very interested in finding out more about the Forces to Flyers program. So far, I've been unable to find out anything more than the fact it was announced. Would you happen to know how I can apply for this? It's actually pretty easy. There's a website you can go to, and at the time you wrote me, I think they weren't really advertising quite as much, but there's a lot of new information, and it's uh, the link will be on the website. It's uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation Volpe Center, and uh, there's a link there that talks about how uh, the flight schools that are involved. They did that was all the things they had to figure out. They had to figure out which flight schools would be used, the training providers, and how to actually apply, and all that information's out there uh, in the Forces to Flyers. And I have a link to it right in the show notes in the podcast. I'm not going to uh, repeat it because it's kind of long, but uh, so it's, um, if you just got Department of Transportation Forces to Flyers, it'll be out there. I know, uh, Robert, you had asked me uh, about this a while ago, somebody else that was interested in this. And uh, the reason this is so important is that, you know, the, the government uh, through the VA, there's not as many schools you can go to anymore to get your private. So that's uh, really important. And also, by the way, welcome to the podcast again. Yeah, well, thank you, Carl. Thank you for having me back. And yeah, I did. I uh, I called you up the other day with that exact question about forces of flyers. So I appreciate the info. Yeah, we will probably have to put a, a link on the side of the uh, of the uh, show notes here, and also on the side of the website to have the forces of the flyers because it's a huge program. One of the things, by the way, and it still comes up as a question. There's so many people that were under the old program. And have already gotten their private. They're working on instrument commercial, and uh, they're moving on. So you might get a little confused by the way they went through things because they might give you the old information where you know you could pretty much use it for the private at most at many many schools. There's a very a limit as to what you can do on the VA side and getting your private. There's only specific schools out there. And unfortunately, usually they're the larger schools and that can be a lot more expensive for you. So this is a wonderful program, this Forces of Flyers. And there's lots of other ways to do it, by the way. Funding your your uh, flight training is, is a really, really uh, daunting task, I know. Um, but they're out there. There's scholarships out there, of course, through the scholarships guide that we have. And there's also student loans out there. You know, uh, Sally May, uh, you've got Wells Fargo has student loans for these type of things. So you just have to keep looking and looking out there. 
And uh, that's actually something I guess we've been remiss on is putting out the different uh, loan programs that are out there. There's obviously pilot finance, there's credit cards, uh, there's bank loans, there's, uh, you know, as they say, it's so much easier to get a vacation loan than it is to get a loan for anything else. But uh, there are specific student loans that are for this type of training, uh, vocational training. So we will put a couple links onto the website for those. But it's really Salome, uh, Wells Fargo are the ones that come to the top of my mind. I'm sure there's more. I just That's what, what I'm thinking of right now. Anyway, thanks for the question. Next question comes in and says, uh, I'm currently a high school senior graduating this May and looking into becoming a pilot. The school of choice is Pasco Hernando State College because the tuition isn't near as much as Embry-Riddle and they still have a technology to get the job done well. They have the technology to get the job done well. By the way, Pasco Hernando State College has a two-year program in Associates and then if you wanted to get your bachelor's, you could do that later, which most of the programs are set up that way in the state college system in Florida where uh, you do your Associates while you're at the school and then most times the uh, bachelor's is completed online while you're out there flying for the airlines because boy they want you out there working right away anyway he continues with this question tuition is fine and dandy but flight time is non-escapable just yet they have simulators that are good enough to log flight hours on which helps a lot but there's still a forty thousand dollar gap i have to pay which uh, by the way you're not alone Um, many people are going to have to pay that much which and even more uh, because of the fact that flight training is so expensive i know that sounds like a huge number that you have to get your degree and pay for flight training, but uh, flight training is not cheap. That's for that's for sure. But it sure is worth it. Anyway, he continues. I'm not sure what all you can suggest, but I'm give you some background. I have a 3.28 weighted GPA, and I'm looking to get a bright future scholarship because I'm tracked to get my Cambridge diploma. I have zero flight time, but I've done discovery flights and know what I want to do. Long story short, I want to fly for a living and request your guidance or suggestions of getting my way through flight school. I really appreciate the time and hope, although hope isn't necessarily a strategy. You can help me in the right direction. Um, by the way, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. I, uh, Pasco Hernando State College is a great way to, uh, to actually get your associate's degree in aviation. There's many different schools. Obviously, I always promote Polk State College because, you know, I'm here and I like to promote the local school and I'm also coaching the team. But... Uh, There's so many great institutions out there where you can go out, they partner with a flight school, and then they, you can get your associates and then move on to your bachelor's somewhere else, uh, online somewhere else, or you can actually transfer those credits. Wonderful thing. The bright futures he's talking about is in the state of Florida. So we won't talk too much about that. Except if you're in Florida, that's great. Uh, it's for people that have matriculated from the flight schools, or excuse me, from high schools here in Florida. Um, and it is a great program to help you with paying for your degrees, et cetera. But suggesting a way to get through flight school, I think what you're you're saying, first of all, there's two parts to this question. There's the financial side, and then there's the other side. So let's let's first start here, and I know that that uh, Robert will back me up on this one. I, I've done a lot of research lately because this is a big question coming up. So I nearly kind of hit the floor the other day. I was discussing this with uh, Eric Crump over at uh, Polk State College, the aerospace director, and asked, the success rate. And I just was looking at the private pilot certificate and the completion rate is actually, if you're looking at a college program in general, it's very low, but it's very high compared to nationwide standards. Here goes the number, 40% a completion rate. That means 60% drop out of the private pilot program. There's many reasons this happens. 
Uh, it may be that it just wasn't for them. Uh, there was different issues as far as the flight is concerned. Maybe it's just they didn't realize what flight was, and they weren't too far into it. Thank God, you know, they, they didn't spend all the money. But it was a good experience for them to actually try it and see if they liked it. It also, the, the other issue is the time commitment. Because you have to go to school, then you also have to do your flight training. The flight training can many times be more challenging than the school. There's, there's so much involved. It's a, it's a physical and it's also a mental challenge. And both of those things kind of wear you out at the end of the day. Number three, the big challenge is financing. Oh, boy. And that's kind of what I think we're alluding to here. Financing is the one of the, I'd have to say about 10% of the people drop before they even start due to financing. Because I really don't think, and I guess maybe I've been remiss in saying this, but I don't think people realize how expensive it is to get your flight training. It is incredibly expensive, but it sure is worth it. You can go through within, I mean, look at uh, some of the websites out there that advertise $85,000 in six months. Uh, and you go through all your ratings, your AT, excuse me, your commercial rating and multi-engine rating, that type of thing. Uh, there's more along the lines of 60 something thousand usually here. Uh, so it's, it can be in that, that range and you can spend that money fairly quickly. But remember this, when you finish, you have a certificate that enables you to fly a plane. You have a commercial pilot certificate. The commercial pilot certificate enables you to actually make money flying. It doesn't enable you to actually fly for the airlines. To fly for the airlines, you need an airline transport pilot certificate to get to that point. It takes a lot more hours. You know what's interesting about this, Robert, is that you remember we used to have to explain that having a commercial pilot certificate, you yeah, you could go work as a pilot uh, and become a quote-unquote commercial pilot like they talk about, but now it's actually made it easier for me to explain because now you have to have your ATP to get to the airlines. And Robert, I was kind of wondering, you know, as far as advice, you, you've been down this road and been down the whole challenges of doing the degree in financing. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I'll go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, what uh, as far as advice that he might have, you know, or advice you'd have to this gentleman as far as guidance, as far as ways to get through flight school, I, I think um, you were kind of going through that yourself, the financing side and also the degrees at the same time. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I thought you had a, a more or a different question. I'm sorry. Uh, so, yes, I did do that. Um, and I one thing I really like about um, what he's saying here. Uh, is the fact that he is using the Bright Future Scholarship coming from Florida uh, as well. You know, growing up in Florida, um, I had that work for me quite a bit and getting the cost down in tuition. So um, what he was, what he's thinking as far as getting costs down, um, that $40,000 gap is, I guess, the issue. So it might be that he has to might take the loan out. Um, I know I certainly did. Uh, when I started uh, school, um, I had a loan. In fact, my dad had a co-sign for it when I first started my first aviation institution. Luckily, it all worked out that I ended up not owing anything in the, in the long run. But um, as far as that goes, yes, uh, I, I like that he's thinking of, hey, this is a cheaper option. Like he said, it gets the job done. Um, and I think that'll make it easier. A $40,000 gap is a lot uh, easier to cover than an $80,000 gap. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, as far as getting the cost down, I think that's a really good strategy, uh, where he's going with it. Um, and I do think that him choosing the cheaper school, uh, will work in his favor. Uh, and as far as regards to the commercial certificate, um, getting that, uh, commercial certificate, 
I like the fact that when he gets there, then he can get that certificate working for him where he can pay off loan as he goes or maybe not have to take the, you know, the full amount if he could find a way to do it cheaper and pay as he goes, like maybe get a job while he's doing his flight training, which I know really wears you out and really exhausts you. But it will help knock down if you can pay a little bit as you go uh, during your training. So um, I think that going through that, though, if he can find a way to even work uh, a job and get that loan down a little bit more, that'd be great. But once he gets there, once he gets that commercial certificate, um, he'll be able to start flying and doing the instruction. And that is kind of where I started uh, making that work for me where I wasn't paying into it anymore. And I was able to start paying off those loans and paying off that debt through it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, actually, there's there's so many ways, by the way, they have charts online. If you go, you know, it's a good website is Sally May has some um, interesting what you just said. They have that broken down in, in like a, a discussion in a chart, like different ways you can actually start paying your loans down beforehand uh while you're in training that and it can be as low as like 25 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month that kind of thing but it it does save you a lot of money in the long run uh but there's many ways boy uh robert i know you've been through a lot of them the bright futures scholarship i guess you had used that when you did your flight training yes i did it didn't come as an as much in handy because i i did the opposite of what he's doing uh, which I went to a private school. It wasn't Riddle at first. It was a, a different school. Um, <clears throat> uh, but uh, the Bright Future, since it was a private institution like Emory Riddle was that he was talking about, Bright Future doesn't really come as in a place of paying as much tuition off as it does if you go to a public state school. So I did the private school for two years, and then I said, hey, I'm going to have a whole heck of a lot of debt if I keep going this way. So that's when I ended up switching and going back home, and I went to a school um, in Tampa that was a public school. Um, as a university, I guess I could probably say the university, yeah. it doesn't matter, University of South Florida. Um, and then I was uh, doing two semesters there while I was back home flight instructing. So I was making money doing those two semesters at USF. And that really helped out because I was able to use that bright future scholarship that I had more to my advantage. So I re- that's why I say I really like what he's doing. I really like how he's keeping his costs down and not choosing the private school um, where he's going to spend a heck of a lot more money and that gap of of how much debt he's going to have to take on is going to be way greater than if he just does what he's planning on doing. So I, I really, uh, you know, applaud that that line of thinking, and I think that he's on the right track. I think it's a great idea for everybody to keep the cost down. By the way, we're talking about bright features in Florida, but many other states, most other states, actually have a similar type of program where you can actually uh, reduce your loan amounts, get scholarships and stuff like that. On the, You can go through the websites. Um, having gone through this recently, because this is something I've become very interested lately in, is that, and I'm trying to help people do this, it really is important to talk to somebody in the financial aid department because the way they have it set up online, uh, there's a thing called FAFSA, and I guess I'll put a link in there for that too, but FAFSA is how you get your financial aid, and it is really difficult to go through that, and they even say on there you have to go to the financial aid department at your college or uh, your institution, wherever it may be, at your high school, your college, whoever is the person that's counseling you, it's usually at the college, they can help you out tremendously and they actually put that in the hands of the people in the financial aid department so definitely you know talk to those people because they're they're going to be the biggest help there 
but whatever state you're in, make sure you look into those things. And, uh, and it's, there's a cut, like I said, there's a couple of different places you can go. One of the things that's interesting, the larger schools out there actually have a lot of this set up already as far as explanations on how to do it. And the reason being is they want you to get your loans so they can actually get you started in those schools. Uh, so what's another interesting thing too, if you look at Sally May and you look at all these other loans, a lot of times your institution has already been in the programs approved. So the process is rather simple. Uh, it's, it may not be easy to get the loan, but it's simple. Like you said, you may have to work a few things like having co-signers, that type of thing, but, uh, just keep working at that. So anyway, that would be my advice. Get it done, get the financing in place because you just don't want to pause your training. As far as the partner program, uh, let me just speak towards that. Cause that's something we really haven't talked about. The, there is many different degrees out there now in aviation offered by state schools to keep those costs down. And those schools have to partner normally with a training provider. They don't normally have their own airplanes. Again, because of the fact that it's less expensive, they don't have the budget, they have to go to a training provider. That's number one. Number two, that may be required by state law, like here in Florida where we are by state law, they cannot own airplanes, so they have to use a contractor. So the next question usually comes up, and I think you, you're alluding to this in your, your question, you know, what about that training provider? So how about the quality of the training provider? So let me make this comment. One of the good things about going to, say, a college like a, a Pasco Hernando, a Polk State, any other, t- you know, Trenton State, those kind of things, uh, Thomas Edison, all those schools, you can go in and uh, you can actually make sure that they have the in place the contractor, but you can go in and ask them about the contractor and what they feel, and they will give you a true and honest response. The other cool thing about it is those contracts have to be renewed. And if they're not doing a good job or they're not actually the, you know, fulfilling the student's requirements, they can move on. Because sometimes what happens is these schools, they start with like one airplane, two airplanes, and it grows like crazy. And the school that they were using as a contractor, they just can't handle them anymore. I've seen this play out. I've seen it play out here locally. I've seen it play out throughout the nation. So one of the things I'm, tr- the point I'm trying to make is it really is important to look at the contractor and get comments, but it's also to your advantage because of the fact that they have to get that contract back every couple of years, and they're going to try to do as good a job as possible to work with that university. So anyway, I hope we've answered that question. I know there's a lot in there, and that was really some great information that, that you, you conveyed to us, and I'm hoping that helps somebody else. So thank you again for that question. Anyway, let's move on to the next question here. And uh, it is uh, from a veteran. It says, I'm a 34-year-old veteran and new father. After a business uh, that failed, I decided to pursue aviation after being bitten by the bug five years ago, attempting to get my private pilot's license. I was wondering if you ever followed anyone from start to finish on the podcast in their journey to becoming a commercial pilot. I'm currently enrolled in school, and I drive three and a half hours each way to go to school. I discovered your podcast a few weeks ago, and they've made the drive much easier. I look forward to your response. I also just finished the ground school yesterday for my private and start flying next month. Well, congratulations. And uh, as far as following somebody from start to finish, we've actually had a lot of people, if you notice, that we're, we're trying to get uh, responses for and calls callbacks from uh we have one individual clay watley who was just recently on he listened to the show and actually came here to lakeland florida and is a flight instructor here at polk state college now he started out 
And now he's on his way, probably soon to be an airline pilot in about a year. We have another individual who came on, and we are going to have him on hopefully soon. He's kind of busy now because he's on his way to the airlines. He just got hired with an airline. He was the one that went from being a principal to an airline pilot. And yes, we'll definitely follow up with him. Well, we're going to continue to try to do that just just so that we can keep you motivated and realize, yes, you can do it. Because every time we have somebody on and we tell their story, it resonates with somebody. So, yes, we will definitely do that and follow. You know, we have so many people out there. Um, obviously, through my career coaching, there's many people that I follow through their entire career. Uh, I could ask some of those um, whether they want to come on. And if you've had done coaching with me, it's, uh, you know, maybe you might, if you're still listening to the show and you're not flying your triple seven across the pond, uh, maybe you'll want to come, come on the show sometime and, and tell us about your journey. So that would be terrific. But yes, we definitely, definitely will do that. Um, anyway, let's move on to the next question. And this is kind of pointed to, towards uh, Robert a little bit here. Uh, so let me read it, and I'm going to actually have Robert uh, respond to his first question. Here it is. It says, uh, thanks so much for what you do. This podcast has been an invaluable lifeline as I seriously consider switching careers at 41 years old. In episode 175, Robert mentioned that he had a roommate with a master's degree back in pilot school who was able to secure airline interviews and subsequent offers much sooner than others who did not have a master's degree. When you discussed how higher points were given to folks with master's degrees in airline applications, I was hoping you could expand on that if possible. Are these higher points given at the regional, national, or legacy, or at all airlines? I'm very curious as I have an MBA. Along the same lines, if you have any information on minority, Asian, uh, American hiring preferences, I think some of your listeners would greatly appreciate it. Perhaps you can invite an airline HR rep onto your show. Thanks again for all you guys do. What a great service you are providing to the society at this time of need. First of all, the second question I'll tell you real quick. Yes, we've had HR reps on. Uh, We will definitely have more come on. They are so busy and inundated here, but uh, it actually helps them. We've obviously had uh, Commute Air. We've had uh, Expressed Airlines. Uh, As far as the legacies, yeah, we'll try to get some of those folks on too. Uh, but yes, we'll do that. But as far as your first question, I'll let Robert ask that one as far as points being given either the regional, national, or legacy, or all airlines. Go ahead, Robert. Yeah, so good question about that. So the higher points, or uh, so let me think on how I would explain it. So every, it's especially true for the legacy airlines and the in the major airlines. Um, since the regionals are definitely at more of a shortage, it really doesn't come into a play in the play. Uh, really just getting a call from a regional, uh, or, or lower tier would be, well, maybe tier is not the right word, but, uh, a regional airline. Um, if you meet the minimums and you've got a clean criminal record and all that, you're probably going to get a call. The majors, it is still a little bit different. And they still use a point system um, for scoring, or the majority of them. I can't speak for every airline, but the majority of this is how it works. So when you fill out your application, you're going to get scored on certain things on your application. Um, flight time, uh, type ratings, uh, you know, um, a lot of them are big into volunteer uh, work. Uh, those type of things raise your score on an airline application. One of the big things, and it was really true back in 2013-14 when the airline started hiring, and it's still true today, the 
education portion, if you have more than just a bachelor's degree, because right now, bachelor, you know, most applicants do have a bachelor's degree. So it doesn't set you, you know, it gives you points towards your application. But again, is that going to be enough points across that threshold that's going to trigger you getting a call when you score applications and send out phone calls for for uh, interview invites? So bachelor's degree is good. It'll give you points. But that master's degree is going to up your score. And I know that particular uh, particular airlines definitely do value that master's degree. Um, and th- that will give you quite a bit of points on your app. So when the apps get scored and they go, okay, we're going to, you know, uh, I think it's all computer generated, hit the button. Uh, again, I have not used this scoring method personally. This is just my understanding of it. So I'll put that caveat in there. But it generates the apps that are going to get called and it is through those higher points. So the ones that are up in higher points, check airman's another one, uh, chief pilots, those things on your application that give you points. And again, every airline can tailor, tailor it specifically to what they're looking for. Those are going to be the ones that generate and uh, the interview invites are going to come through. So yes, master's degree absolutely will help you out um, and getting scored with certain airlines. So yes, it does make a difference. And yes, it does up your scoring uh, for your applications if you use that scoring, uh, that scoring regimen. So the long, long and short of it is yes, master's degree absolutely help. So if you're looking at getting your master's degree, it's a good thing. It's just I would not preclude flying uh, as far as getting going forward in your career. In other words, don't put off flying to get your master's degree uh, because there are airlines out there. And by the way, the scoring system changes. Uh, if you listen to anybody in the HR department, it, it it more just like any hiring practices, they change based on the supply and demand. And what they'll do is they can run different, you know, scoring systems and different filters and say, okay, in this we have so many applications. Let's take away all the people that uh, you know don't have their masters, and they may only have a couple. Okay, let's take away all the people that don't have their bachelors, and sometimes associates, and then. Uh, like you said, with the they can actually do a lot of different scoring there based on the number of hours. Okay, we're not going to take anybody that has less than eight thousand hours. Let's let's filter those out, and they can go the, through different iterations of that, and it depends on the yes. airline and the timing. That's for sure. Um, but uh, when the regional side is a little different, I, I like uh, how you you put that because really. The regionals currently, and we talk, you know, we talk about a shortage. And I explained this many years ago, and you can look it up on aviationcurspodcast.com slash pilot shortage. The 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 airlines are in a shortage. It, it comes on the regional side more so because that's where much of the flying is done, and uh, especially with the majors that connect. Uh, but really, you have to look at where the sucking sound is. It's mainly at the regionals, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I and I like what you say. You know, if it comes to, you know, stopping everything, you're training or building hours to get a master's, probably not worth it. Um, in my roommate, uh, my old roommate's particular situation, he did his master's degree online. Um, he was already, we, were, we knew each other through new hire training at, at the regional. So he didn't stop what he was doing. He didn't stop that career progression and get that master's. He just did it. Um, you know, he was uh, young, uh, 22, 23 years old, a uh, single dude. He had time to do it. Um, so he, that's what he did and it, and it helped him out in the long run. 
So he didn't stop what he was doing. He didn't stop that path. He just got it. He was able to do it in addition to what he was doing. So I couldn't agree more with what you say. And there's other ways to build points on, on your application. Um, and, and I mentioned a few of them. So uh, just, just you know, look at how you can, how you can make yourself more uh, appealing to the airlines um, where, you know, you're not stopping your work at your company or wherever you happen to be, uh, apply for those ground instructor jobs and apply for those check airman positions. If you're eligible, apply to be a CRM instructor. So all those things really do help. And there's things that you can do while you're on your current trajectory towards making that ultimate goal. So I love how you said that. Yeah. And that's just in general. I mean, there's a big waiting system. And of course, you know, say you work for the, uh, you were in the uh, Naval Demonstration Team, the, the Blue Angels, and you don't have your, your master's degree, that'll definitely put you at the top of the list, you know, having flown with some of those folks. And, or say you've landed the shuttle or something, and you don't have your master's, you're still, do, do you see how this is? I mean, I'm giving you that yeah. kind of extreme example, but boy. Well, you it, say <laughs> that, you say that, but I remember we were, that was a big joke when uh, those applications came out with some of the legacies there was literally <laughs> shuttle time on there and you're going well i mean i if this is like that's crazy. <laughs> it was a joke like well i don't have any shuttle time to boost my app so but people did and that's what's so funny because you're like well how do i compete against that <laughs> right and don't let that don't let that stop you from applying and just realize no. that you're you know they're out there you, you know you can you know actually compete with those and you don't know who's applying and when they're applying that type of thing so <laughs> don't don't it was always like, a joke though i don't have any shuttle time to put on my app <laughs> so. well i've seen the space shuttle so maybe that counts you know? <laughs> oh boy Oh gosh, but it's it's hilarious. So that the way that it seems like at times, and I know people listening are thinking maybe sometimes they just put applications on the wall and throw darts because some you know you look at some people that get interviews. I've seen people getting interviews that have zero zero uh, have no degree at all. Now many times what happens is these are people that have gone to school for like three years and just didn't finish their degree. So yeah, that counts as something there. But but you don't have any degree at all. They'll still get an interview many times. Also, if you've got 25,000 hours, you'll probably get an interview. Uh, so it all depends on experience, too. So that's really, really important. Plus, if you're a check airman, of course. Um, let's see. The uh, Let's do one more. And uh, one que- And by the way, thanks for that question. I really appreciate it. And hopefully that's helping. We will get another HR person on here soon. Uh, next question says, hello, Carl. I greatly appreciate your podcast. I received my private pilot's license when I was 20. And since then, have not flown much. I'm now 29, have a wife and kids, and I'm wondering what your suggestion is for flight training to get me to an airline in the next three to five years. If I continue my job where I make about 40000 I can afford about 40 to 50 flight hours per year at this time without getting a loan. What advice can you give to someone in my situation who has always wanted to fly for a living? Obviously, I'm not looking to skip over flight instructing at some point to build hours, but I think my end game is the airlines. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. I I like what you're doing. It's uh, I was in the same boat when I uh, was doing my uh, flight training. I uh, did a little bit later, about the same age. And said, "Okay, you know, I'm going to work towards these ratings." And I uh, really, I didn't have the kids and all, but uh, you just really have to concentrate on putting as much as you can into the training, into getting those hours. Three to five years down the road is is actually a pretty good goal. I mean, I 
and I, I see it sounds like a long way away, but doing it part time like you're doing it and moving forward like that. Yeah. Get your private instrument commercial CFI start instructing. What you'll be surprised is when things change to from actually paying out for uh, flight instruction and then getting paid for flight instruction. And you might be able to hang on to your job for a while while you're actually flight instructing. As a matter of fact, most of the people like at the college here, I see them have other jobs uh, that goes away after a while because what's happening now especially at the bigger schools is people are starting to make more money flight instructing than in the job that they were holding and they're like well why am i doing that other job and they're uh, and they're making a really decent living uh so i i really as far as any advice you're doing the right thing as far as paying for it uh, you may have to, and I like to look at it like a surge tank. You may have to use your credit card may, maybe for uh, getting to the check ride. Say you need an extra $1,000, $2,000. Just don't go overboard with those uh, loans. And a lot of times what happens, and I did the same thing, is when I got towards the check ride, I went full bore. I said, okay, if I'm going to have to borrow money, I'm going to have to borrow money. And I would get the check ride done. Then I would cut down on my flying a little bit, pay off some of those loans, and then start up again. So you can kind of do that approach right there. And that's quite important. I know, uh, Robert, you, uh, I think you were working, weren't you, when you started? Yeah, you were working when you started flight training, correct? Yeah, I was. Uh, well, I, well, yes, I was. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was. I won't get too all into the details, but I started before, before I was old enough to hold a job. I was working under the table. Right, so I right. can say that because the company's out of doesn't even want to exist. <laughs> Won't get anyone in trouble. Well, when you're a kid, yes. a lot of times that happens too. You know, you're not eligible to work to what sixteen or so, and that's part time. I don't know how the, what the rules are now, but um, yes, that's that's. And when I was sixteen, uh, that was when I officially got my first job working line at the airport. So. Um, yeah, that allowed me to help pay for training as I went. The other thing, too, and I didn't say this and I forgot uh, while I was talking is, uh, and you did this, Robert, you can actually get a discount if you work for the FBO and do some flight training at the same FBO. And I, I, a lot of times it's like a 10%, 20% discount. Sometimes if they really like you, they'll pay for a rating and say, but you have to commit to them to actually go fly for them. Uh, and that's I've seen that starting to happen again now. And I think you did that, didn't you? You got a discount where you were working? Yeah, ours was. I'm trying to remember that far back. Ten, I think it was about ten percent. And yes, it was a discount. It was. It was. Uh, it was nice. It was decent. So I had another student that asked me the same thing. I said, "Oh yeah, go work for the uh, FBO, and you'll actually um, get a big discount. You get your rating, and and uh, never really kind of finished that up. He wound up working at the the FBO for the rest of his career, and he really enjoyed it. So sometimes that can happen. You wind up staying at the the same position and and really enjoying life. It's really interesting how things things happen there. But uh, yeah, this is in your plan uh, for your question about forty to fifty hours per year without getting a loan. That's terrific. Uh, you may have to take a little loan to get past that check right type of thing, but. Um, three to five years is an, is an easy track, especially once you get to your CFI. We have students here, or I shouldn't say students, I have, we have flight instructors that used to be students at the, at the college that are just blasting through 80 hours a month, uh, just getting hours because they are just, you know, flight instructor animals, I call them. They're, they come to the airport eight in the morning, go till eight at night. And remember that as far as the money is concerned, this is an important point. You don't just get paid to flight instructor you get paid to instruct so you have the simulator you have ground school and you have flight i know there's schools out there that don't pay for ground 
And uh, I think that's kind of silly because you are, you're an instructor and they're charging for your instructional time. So anyway, great questions here, Robert. This has uh, been a lot of fun. We've come up on our time. And uh, just if, you, if someone has questions for us, just feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com and we'll answer them. I hope you enjoy these type of question and answer sessions. And uh, we, you know, we love bringing them to you. Just a little about me. I'm going for my training, actually, for my uh, recurrent training. And this will be the first training session we're doing EET, which is uh, the envelope extended envelope training so oh I'll, that's I'll, so much fun i just did that oh two ago. it was fun huh i gotta yeah and so that you get to do stalls not that we haven't done those it's just that you get to do it in an environment that's more structured in other words i know we all have time when we get in the simulator say hey you guys want to do something yeah let's do this and you know i want to do a full stall at thirty-six thousand feet or whatever um, but now you actually have to do it and uh, you have to get through the it's a it's a training event is that what it was for you yeah, we did our um, – so we did our uh, – the way ours worked this year was we actually had a whole extra day of training that we had to do. Um, our training went from three days to four days of training. And then next year, it's actually going to five days of training because we're going to do a whole day, of apparently four straight hours of uh, NSM of unusual attitude recovery. Um, so – that is all training. So you do your. So how that works is you do that on a separate day. Or this year it was we do our our um, our check, which was uh, since it's what we call advanced qualification program or AQP. Uh, we'll do that, which is basically like a simulated line flight, and you work together as a crew. Um, and so you get that done, and that's your Jeopardy event. Um, so that's the one that you can fail. And then after that was done, then we hop in and did two hours of stalls, and it was really neat the high altitude stalls and then you do the low altitude stalls on approach and uh and clean configuration and a landing configuration and uh it was really cool and the high altitude stalls were were really fun because it taught you a lot of stuff about um you know how the airplane is going to react and basically long story short of it with the high altitude stalls is you're going to lose quite a few thousand feet in altitude if you try to push your nose over and recover fast, or if you try to recover slow, it's about the same amount of altitude loss. So it was really cool. It was good training. Awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> I'll, I'll report yeah. back next time when I do them. I, uh, you know, like I said, it's usually a fun event. Now it's uh, changed a little bit. I know our footprint, our training footprint has changed because of this. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, where they go next year. Maybe they will add another day to our training. Who knows? Uh, but uh, training is always stressful. I will admit that. I don't uh, like the check rides because uh, every year you have to do an oral exam. It's 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 similar but not as extensive as the one you did for your type rating, uh, but it's uh, you know a lot of the same questions. By now you should know the airplane, etc. But you're doing a lot of things you didn't do before. You got to memorize things. You got to make sure you can come out and say them right away. You know you have that knowledge. You just got to pull it out. Uh, so that's actually what I'm going to do right after this podcast. I'm going to hit the books and uh, start studying. So uh, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. We have all these slideshows. Our our company they actually send you some slideshows with questions and and then they give you the answers to you know kind of go through a, like a mock setup for the oral exam. It's kind of kind of cool and they have a lot of different information on a on a training side of the website just so. That you, that you can be prepared for the check ride. Um, but of course, everything's uh, very subjective and you never know what you're going to get thrown as uh, far as in the simulator. So it'll be, be a blast. I will report back on that. 
Anyway, Robert, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. And uh, your input into all these different uh, ideas and questions. If you have a question for Robert or myself, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. And we really appreciate your listening. And, you know, like I said, a lot of these questions about paying for training, what's the best thing for my career. But the most important thing for you to do is to do something today to move forward in your career. Take that one step now today after this podcast. When you go and you actually finish listening to this, do it today. Do it now so you can move forward in your career. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.